The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <laughs> Tonight, we got them. Goldie and the Salt. <laughs> and it starts right now. We built this, Goldie. <laughs> Nothing more beloved than alarms. <laughs> Who doesn't oh. First joke of the day. <laughs> First joke of the day. Early got one. it early. That was a good one. That's true. Did Stu think of that? People hate alarms, but I'm going to write about them anyway. I'm going to give you jury duty. <laughs> Here comes your dentist appointment. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife wants to talk. <laughs> you don't know about what. Oh, you know. But you need to make at least an hour. <laughs> and it's right before bed. <laughs> I think we got we got something to work with there. We can go into the stew dio. Yes. Well, speaking of, I mean, I maybe I just unveil it now. I was going to hold it. it till later, but I I made a special surprise for you and JC. Has it? Yes. What? Yeah. Okay. You you want to play it? Yes. Here we go. Here we go. Three, two, one. We built this Alec. <laughs> we built this Alec by smoking weed. Built this Alec. We built this Alec by smoking weed. Spent all week on this. Got it. So now we're even. I love it. By the way, this is how you react to something like that. Goldie, thank that you. Awesome. Oh, that is so sweet. Put a lot of thought into it. A lot and, of love. Just JC and I were in constant contact throughout yeah. the week. The production was very it. intense. His roommate brought the bonga. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's more accurate. Uh, that's more accurate, I think, than our song. Our song, our podcast did not build did not, me, but it's possible yeah, that fine. we built me. <laughs> we can all agree on that. Uh, well, welcome back to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. And I just want to start this week by saying we got a bunch of great emails from you guys this week yeah. and we'll we'll get to them you know when we're we're desperate some week but there were a lot of very <laughs> funny ones so i want to encourage you to keep writing in 
uh, to us at a typical disgusting display at gmail.com with any questions, comments, and, and take note that we are now within a month of Goldie's 50th birthday. So Woo! if you want to send him a birthday wish, send it to a typical <laughs> disgusting display at gmail.com. If you could see his face right now, he yes. is so excited. <laughs> I, I, I want to send you an email verbally right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, dear a typical disgusting display, yeah. I uh, FaceTimed my podcast partner this morning prior to our podcast <laughs> simply to go over what we might talk about, yeah. review ideas, make sure we were on the same page to try to ensure a seamless presentation to our listeners. <laughs> when my podcast partner, comma, Alex Sulkin, comma, picked up, he was taking a shit and he still picked up anyway. I did. What am I supposed to do in this situation? Question mark. Hang up. Is, is it appropriate to pick up a FaceTime while you are taking a shit? Uh, well, here here's the answer to that. It, the short answer is so no. Uh, but the, the, the longer answer is that I know my own ass. And I knew at that point when you called, nothing was happening. There was a, oh, you, the, the, the third base coach was holding all traffic. Oh was there so anything in the bowl already? Nothing, nothing okay, in the bowl. But... Nothing in the bowl. And so also, you're not going to see my naked legs. I, I tilt know, it up. That's simply the fact. Yeah. There's bare butthole on seat. <laughs> Knowing it makes that me it's extremely there. uncomfortable. Am I, I crazy, know, JC? I, you're, I enjoyed you're, that. You're impartial. Hey, if if JC, if if he oh, I wouldn't up, have picked up. I wouldn't have picked up for JC. <laughs> oh, Are you God. kidding me? That I would have, have rushed to put my curlers on. <laughs> so it's a gender thing. I mean, JC, yes, am I crazy or, here? Yes, it's a gender <laughs> thing. You're definitely not crazy. But I also would you. Is it a gender thing or is it how close you guys are? Well, that's true, too. I, I want to be I, further away. <laughs> Hold me closer, tiny dancer. No. Stay away from tiny me, giant pooper. dancer. <laughs> um, but I will say that I had just gotten off the, a FaceTime with Tall. Who, I see. You know, she, and she's she okay with that? Well, Close. she is because she understands that I, there's going to be a 45-minute... Wait. Piece of the morning. God, no wonder she won't pull the trigger on this marriage. <laughs> <laughs> she might pull the trigger right next to my forehead at oh, some geez, point. Dark. <laughs> You're not helping yourself with this FaceTime shitting. I'll just tell you. <laughs> no one's walking away with a better impression of you than they had. <laughs> He's FaceTime shitting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was a, that was a fun start to the morning, only because it, I saw how uncomfortable it made you. And what else is life about? but making your close friends very uncomfortable and upset. Oh, well, you did it. Yeah, I did it. Um, <clears throat> something else we wanted to talk about quickly this morning was um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, watched and talked about the pilot of Friends and kind of the, you know, in a nutshell, our takeaway was that while the casting is incredible and undeniably it went on to become one of the most successful sitcoms of all time, we didn't love the pilot. It wasn't know? up to our standards. It was not up to the the Cheers pilot, the British Office pilot, other pilots that we've watched. So, and we talked about why we thought that was. So, of course, we put that out there on the airwaves. Yep. You know, blissfully ignorant of the impact that that might have, and we we start getting messages from Max Pross, who you might remember as yes. uh, half of the legendary writing team, uh, Gamble and Pross. 
And Max wrote us a text that said, like, I wonder what Marta Kaufman, who's one of the creators and writers of the the Friends pilot, would think about the dad's pilot. (laughs) And so, of course, that made Goldie and I both stop in our tracks and instantly realize that we are going to break down the dad's pilot. Oh, that's a great idea. Uh, yeah. On an episode very soon, within the next couple of I don't of weeks. have the guts to invite Marta Kaufman, but that would be great. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my yeah. God. Yeah, just have her watch it. And, of course, the, the I'm sure the tragic thing was she'd be like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> We'd feel like <laughs> even worse. No. no. Yeah, Goldie's <laughs> no, saying no, no she wouldn't. <laughs> no, no chance. So we're hyping this now. We're teasing it that within the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to be forced to rewatch the dad's pilot and... And we are going to come on here and and eat crow, take our medicine, and just to show we are we are firm but fair. It's not. And like also, a- you wrote it, you produced <laughs> it. <laughs> this we. I'm not this. sure where this we is coming. You know, from. I remember Goldie had some strong uh, costume uh, suggestions. Guy came in for oh, no. three hours one afternoon to offer a few simple suggestions, <laughs> which you didn't take. Well, Goldie, I will. I will agree with that. the The Friends pilot was written primarily by uh, me and my then writing partner Wellesley Wilde. Not Friends. But the everything, pilot. everything. At, what did I say? Friends. You said the Friends. Oh pilot. yeah, boy. I wish. I thought the checks might start coming my way. Yeah, no, the dad's pilot. And then, so Goldie, you're right. You were not heavily involved with that pilot. But then I will say, every episode after the pilot, you wrote more of than anyone else on Earth. <laughs> so you have written more dads than anyone on this planet. And I think you need to have and a t-shirt. I've never recovered effect. from that. <laughs> then all of America will know what it's like to watch you take a shit. <laughs> oh, nice. Very second joke of the day. Second joke we of the day. To say that. Uh, yes, that's a very <laughs> good The show that could only be described as a FaceTime on a toilet. <laughs> that's coming up. That medicine and more. The Goldie will share none of the blame, but get to chime in with these cracks. Can't wait. wait. Yeah. But now let's get into a different kind of medicine. Let's get into Johnny Jokes. Oh, I almost forgot that this is my part, but live from Hollywood, who's Johnny's? I'm, I'm nervous about one of my jokes, so I'm just staring at it. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I have zero feeling for any of mine, if that helps you. Uh, okay. Here we go. Here yeah, we go. All right. Start out with a quick one with a, with a new kind of style here. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen <laughs> says she's not seeing any signs of recession in the U.S. economy. Uh, she then put on her glasses and went, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought you were going to do something with a Janet I know, yelling. I know. Yes. Why, is, why is Janet yelling? <laughs> I, I always tried to work in a joke about Jocelyn Elders, Jocelyn yeah. Elders, but I, I couldn't quite I, I feel like it would, if we wrote for the show, you could make a, a trope about Janet yelling, you know, and Janet's yelling again. <laughs> yeah, here's here it. And it's time, Janet yelling time. Okay, and here's a topic uh, Goldie and I texted about a little bit this week, but I'm doing a joke anyway. Uh, Well, the midterms are almost upon us, and uh, Democrats are cautiously optimistic that they will maintain control of the House. Uh, Speaker Pelosi shared the news with her husband, and he promptly went home and got hammered. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Just awful. Uh, I I, I passed on the joke, and and, uh, he said it was... uh... (laughs) 
<laughs> he said it was one of the best nights he'd had at home in a while. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point is, everybody's laughing at this man. Uh, hey, look, as, long as, he's, as long as he's eventually going to be fine, then uh, yeah. we don't look bad, right? right. You, bounce, <laughs> right. you bounce back from that stuff. At yeah, 82. when you're 80. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. Uh, the the NFL held another game in London last weekend in hopes that American football will become more popular in Europe. Uh, one league official said if the plan goes well, they hope to score several Dutch towns. <laughs> Dutch towns. Only you. Hey, everybody. Only you. <laughs> uh, all right, and here's a closer that it's in no way a closer. <laughs> Uh, scientists have spotted, you notice I love to say scientists. <laughs> Science. Uh, scientists have spotted a planet killer asteroid that was apparently hiding in the sun's glare. Yeah. Uh, the asteroid was even trickier to spot because it was whistling with its hands in its pockets. Uh, you know... Trying to you act can casual. close on that. <laughs> Trying to act casual. And today's topsy-turvy time. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. We, we right. don't need anything confrontational. <laughs> Second, John. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> well, an eight-year-old boy became the youngest person ever to climb the rock formation El Capitan. And when he got to the top, he said, Mom, get me down. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. That's a sweet one. (laughs) Little sweet joke. Okay, well, Elon Musk has taken control of social media giant Twitter. Yeah, uh, insiders say he's already starting to put his signature stamp on the company, and he begun by getting two co-workers pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) That's sort of what he does. Yeah, all right. Speculation is rampant that Donald Trump will run for president again. And reportedly, he's already landed on a punchy slogan. Make America as good as it was between six years ago and two years ago, and not now, but also kind of like it maybe was in the 50s until Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. All right. This next one we may have to cut. Okay. (laughs) I love it. Depending on JC's reaction. Okay. 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 (laughs) New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft is sponsoring a Stand Up to Jewish Hate initiative trying to unite different ethnic groups against anti-Semitism. Yeah, but uh, things got pretty awkward when he asked Asians to lend a hand. Ah, <laughs> no, I like it. That's a great line. That's a great line. Come will on. I stop there? No, I will, I, will, I will make you not like me, as the great Brody Stevens would have said. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you first. I hate you first. Here we go. Well... The climate protest group that has been defacing famous paintings with food says they have more attacks planned. Yeah. They're going to throw a tamale at a dolly, fricassee a Monet, and smash Captain Crunch on a munch. (laughs) That's so good. Come on. Yeah. That was great. We built this, Alec. (laughs) On weed and coke. <laughs> a Whoa. cola. A cola. I like oh, okay. yeah, Very no. edgy. Some, some actual coke. Very little compared to the weed. Um, well, you've got that manic energy. You know, don't I? Don't I? I could go all day. He got coked up. And he rose from his couch, walked to the fridge, and went back to the couch. He was, he was nuts. It's so uncomfortable. 
Now, Goldie, I don't know why I'm still Johnny. <laughs> I Goldie, I noticed, you, so you, and you've done this the past couple of weeks. You're breaking the social contract. You've done more than four jokes. But here's yeah. the thing I'll say. Why aren't you being a good squirrel and stockpiling those for a potential eight joke run if you if oh. you lose the NFL thing? Which because, I'm doing because you, you know me, my need for approval is so great <laughs> and my self esteem is so low yes. that I think the only solution is to throw quantity at it and then people will love me. Like oh. then this next one will make you love me. Right? Of course, oh. I'm wrong, but I can't stop. So it's no, that, that last one did make us love you. All those. Uh, wordplay with the artists that was very good i mean is this a good segue into maybe your football picks now yeah, yeah. let's just do it let's now. do it let's okay, do them cool. now so for those of you who are highly entertained by our football picks um <laughs> we we have more right now we um goldie and i to recap are tied we're unsure if we're three and three four and four but we are tied. I honestly think we're each like four and one, and we're doing very well on the <laughs> actual picks. Like we've, we, I feel like I've only lost one, but maybe I'm wrong. No, no, you, okay. you've lost. But we've two. Won, every week. I feel like well, we both won. <clears throat> okay, well, last week that's true. We did both win. So whatever we are, we're tied. That's yeah. the important number is that yep. we're tied because okay. the loser has to do. Uh, an eight joke Johnny monologue while the other one gets to sit back and relax like Ferris Bueller. So that's the high stakes, the highest stakes. Um, so this week, Goldie, we got our picks. Who do you have this week? Okay. You know, hate the board as always hate my pick as always, but I am going to take the green Bay Packers who are getting 3.5 points against the Detroit lions in Detroit. I think the Packers have to turn it around this week. I think Detroit's defense is terrible, so I just predict they're going to win by four points or more. They have to. They okay. have to. Okay. I love the pick. The pack. Pack pick. <laughs> All right. So um, I am going to. I'm going to stay with you in the NFC North, my friend. I am picking the Minnesota Vikings, Ugh. Uh, <laughs> who are giving three and a half against the Washington Commanders, and the Commanders right now are a dumpster fire. You know, so. I think Minnesota's kind of been cruising, and uh, hopefully they'll win. So those are our two picks. Well, worst right. of luck to you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you, too, my friend. Uh, all right. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Oh, boy. <laughs> boy, we are... Incredibly excited for this portion of the podcast today because we have a talented, respected, and successful writer here, which is a vast difference from what we usually have with me and Goldie. <laughs> we have Mr. Dan Levy here. Dan has been on the Goldbergs for almost a decade. Uh, he uh, just completed 
Wait, are you already shaking your head? She hasn't been on the Goldbergs for a while. You've been off the Goldbergs for a while? Yeah, I've been off the Goldbergs for a while. What are you doing here? Awesome. I emailed you this stuff. You did, you said he was on the Goldbergs since 2013. No, I didn't. I, I, uh, I, no, I, I started didn't. in 2013, then I left in, the in 2019. Awesome. 2019, up until very recently, <laughs> was on the Goldbergs. Yes. Do you want to start uh, over? Should I keep let it? Let me start it okay. over. <laughs> I, get Stan, I, I, I texted you, stand up, just finished opening for Mulaney on yeah, 100 City I know, Tour. I know that. Is yeah, that true? I was getting to that. <laughs> I think I was we should getting keep this to that. This is podcast. awesome. Okay, yeah, keep it going. Had because overall <laughs> at Sony the same time as Nobody me. cares about that, about your timeline. We're, we're talking sold, to a guest. Third bullet point, sold a ton of shows. Good yeah. area to get his advice. I, I understand. <laughs> Fourth area, yeah. An NBC sitcom with Fran Drescher. Yeah, seemed like a weird Fifth thing to area. point out. Has upcoming show with Kevin Hart about sneakerheads. Yeah, I'm getting Don't to all that. Don't see Goldbergs in there, pal. Where, where do you say he left the Goldbergs in 2019? I didn't even say he went to the Goldbergs. So why would I say he left somewhere that I, I mean, didn't say he as was? As Alec pointed off, off air, yeah. um, I, I worked in the Goldbergs, and this is George Siegel's sweater. So that yes, is that's important George for Siegel's everyone sweater to know. He's wearing okay. today. He got it in the will. And also, I, I will point out, which uh, we had talked about before you got on, Goldie, which is you, you texted me all this stuff last night and i responded and while i was responding i knew it was going to piss you off for some reason Mm -hmm. so i text you i'm like actually i know dan i've had a couple lunches with him and he's been to the cape there's a long pause and then i get the thumbs down (laughs) emphasis on the text why why does that piss you off well, express yourself. No, Why? He, I mean, he, he, when was this lunch? When he was on the Goldbergs in yes. 2014? <laughs> yes. It was quite a while ago. It was pre-COVID. I'm sorry, you having a lot of lunches I, with Dan? I just, I mean, Dan, also, who, who do you think knows more about you, Dan? Me or Alan? <laughs> I think you. But, but, you. but, but I will say that uh, even if I w- joined the Goldbergs in 2013, it still wouldn't have been a decade because I joined the show season three. The show just is now season 10. So we yeah. Really, I said we, almost we, a decade. Almost, almost a decade. Right, almost I was trying decade. to pump you up, for God's <laughs> no, sake. No, I, I like it. Say it. It's fine. All right. So uh, there was a lot more to the intro, which I, I'm now <laughs> too afraid. It's the only sitcom that's still on TV. So that's I'm happy right. to I That's right. I know. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Shout Believe out to Lou me. Schneider. Okay. So, okay. yes. Lou Schneider. Did. Shout out to Lou Schneider. Yes. Lou Schneider. We love you, Lou. Lou, along came a Schneider. <laughs> Um, so you just finished a hundred uh, date stand up tour with Mulaney. Doesn't matter who is headlining. You guys were both out there. Yeah, it was, um, it's more Arena. about me. Uh, yeah. tour. That tour is more about me. Yeah. Absolutely. I know so, we do some personal stuff, but it's really that that tour is about me and my jokes. So now you you've been talking for three minutes now in amidst the intro here. But welcome, Dan, and thank Sorry. you for being here. You, and, and Dan, we know you're made of time today. Lots of time. We're just going to get in. Clear that up. Yeah. I just wanted to know, like, yeah. what, you know, uh-huh. because it, I never did a podcast right. at seven in the morning, so I was trying to gauge <laughs> exactly <laughs> when. You've got stuff to do. I got stuff to do in yeah, at least absolutely. four hours. So I'm yeah. trying to figure out, is going to be a, a Joe Rogan situation? Are we right. talking for six hours? <laughs> oh, Goldie, jo- Goldie does a good Rogan. Goldie, give him, give him a Rogan question. Uh, <laughs> there it is. So. The Goldbergs. <laughs> this was something that was based on Adam Goldberg, but is you were there too? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great road. It's just like the great. pace is just excruciating, <laughs> and then he's he's puzzled by everything a yeah. little bit, and everything's a everything's an X Files style investigation. 
Always. into something that's not really a mystery. There is some conspiracy stuff behind the Goldbergs, though. Ooh, what? What? Hot what? Cuss. No, I'm just I'm <laughs> How would you know? You haven't been there in forever. <laughs> so Dan Levy, made of time. Um, that's me. So much time. Easier, All I have is time. Easier to get a chunk of Steve Levitan's time than Dan Levy's. <laughs> But we are all here together. Okay, so my my first question, which is already out of the box, was that Goldie was annoyed that you and I knew each other, and, and we, yes. we got to that. It, it yes. bothered him immensely. Gave me the thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But well, so not they, that you knew each other, but that yeah. you were you were so how you, you kind you of you are putting this wait. into it. I, I, like, I could I just, wait. I, you know, you were you. I think you probably debated whether, like, should I jump him with this on air? Oh, never! I did not, which is why I texted you, boy. You tar me with the worst brush, I tell you. And you're putting all this stuff on it from your mind. You're like, oh, it's a text. They're words, yeah. and guys. We, said, you guys can both be friends with me. It's fine. No, it's so this is like a fourth grade love triangle here. All right, so Dan. Yes. Getting back to you and away yeah, from Goldie, please. who's now leaving the podcast for some <laughs> reason. He's going away. Um, very respectful. So you were, I read this and I didn't know this because I don't know you that well. You were born and raised in Stamford, Connecticut. Is that, That's, is yes. that right? So Stamford, Stamford, Connecticut. Right. So home of Purdue Pharma. Were the streets paved oh, with opiates what? when you were yeah, growing just, up? Just an there idyllic. There was in everywhere. <laughs> yeah, There's Vicodin everywhere. It's also where WWE, formerly WWF, oh, yeah. has oh, their headquarters. That's, that's right. So when I was in high school, the only people who spoke to us and gave us life advice were wrestlers just roided out on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that true? I swear to God. They'd come in. We'd have like, you know, don't do drugs. And they would be like shooting up their steroids in the bathroom and be like, don't do drugs. <laughs> Work out. It's going to be great. And we're like, what the fuck is Who'd this? you get? Like, who would no, come? No, and it was like, it was oh, okay. C-level tag team guys would come in with like speed and they'd like sit like on the corner of the stage. And he's like, Brian wanna... Blair, Jumpin' yeah. Jim Brunzel. Oh, is that, are those real people going? Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. Barry never... Windham and Mike Rotundo. I, I watched a lot of wrestling in like awesome. the early 80s. One time we were supposed to have Undertaker and then he bailed. So then it was just like oh. some... Some second under, tier. Understudy. That, understudy that's, came that's in. That's when under you tier. get leaping Lenny Poffo, a.k.a. <laughs> the genius. Yes. <laughs> I love that you know wow. all these people. I'm very impressed. And, and did you ever uh, get uh, this, a Sackler brother in there to speak to you guys? <laughs> no, that would have been nice. That yeah, been they nice might have had really... some real advice. At least some business advice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they seemed to know what they were doing. But the, the overall question there is because that that's something that we have in common. Jewish boys growing up in a sort of well-to-do area. So where does the where does the comedy first come from for you? Did you have funny parents uh, growing my, my up? My parents were funny. I just remember just being obsessed with comedy at a very young age. I remember being nine years old and watching Aiden even the Improv, and oh. just being like obsessed with stand up. And that's then amazing. that's kind of how it all started. I was like just like reading books, watching specials, and just got obsessed. And then it kind of like just went into like watching all these sitcoms and then I was like so into a living color and then SNL and just kind of like, you know, went from there. My dad used to listen to David Letterman every single night. So I used to yep. go to bed to my dad laughing at the top 10 list like every oh, single night. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So I just have always loved, uh, loved now comedy. You, and you say you got sort of obsessed with stand-up at a young age. Do you remember any of the stand-ups uh, with whom you were obsessed as a kid? I don't remember the comedian's name, but I remember the first joke that I thought was Let's funny was he was saying, he was doing, the whole premise was that the, the theme song to the circus, which is like, dun, 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 d
you know, uh, back in the day when there was like, you know, giant Greek warriors like fighting in coliseums. And he's like, could you imagine what that would have been like? Like this Greek, Coli- <laughs> welcome to Greek Coliseum. This guy's coming out. They're going to kill each other. I don't know who that comic is, but that joke is like in my brain forever. And I was like, this is so funny. That's amazing. So I give that guy credit for my life. Whatever his name Whoever. So if you're out there, contact me. I'll give you all my Goldberg's money from season six to season 10. <laughs> it was longer than that. We know that. We know that. And look at, by the way, I'm, re- I'm looking at my next question, which is hilarious in that context. It just says, Goldberg's, they're from the start? Question mark. <laughs> my good buddy, Dan Levy. <laughs> my what did he com- talk about at this lunch? What are you not doing? <laughs> well, well, your buddy Steve Bazelon is there, so it's hard yeah, for you Steve, to get a word in edgewise. Steve with that Bazelon guy. is very jealous that I'm on this podcast. He's very yeah, jealous. he listens, oh, yeah? and I appreciate that. Oh, that's so cool. Um, Steve Bazelon, by the way, very talented writer, very funny uh, guy. His was it his grandfather or great grandfather is one of the greatest war heroes in his great grandfather was one of the greatest war heroes of all time. And Steve is a soft writer. Yes, very soft. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, very emotional. Goldie, his grandfather was this guy, John Bazalone, who was like the hero of World War II in the Pacific Theater. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So and Steve posted time. the other day that he was crying on Instagram. So they're very similar. They yeah. have the, the DNA runs. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Steve dressed up as the "You Can Call Me Al" video, so he's doing his part. He's a hero of, of sorts. He's an American yeah. hero. No, Steve, we we love you, and we'd love to have you on this podcast yeah. at some point. He wrote uh, for Community. You know, that's my favorite. I love that show. Oh, so. look at you googling yeah. on. I the did. Fly. I'm quite, yeah. Goldie <laughs> taught me I could do that while we're on on air. Yeah. I think <laughs> oh yeah. You could it. just like look at the internet the whole time we're yeah, on zone air out. and not zone even out. listen it's possible i think goldie just does check that your when email. i talk oh just look at the stock market and yeah. it hits a certain point determine that you can leave because you have enough money yeah you can do that uh, but but dan to talk about the goldbergs for a little bit yes. because you were there for a while now yeah what what was that experience like? I mean, obviously, I just learned you came in on season three, so it right. was a going concern. But it's rare in Hollywood to be on a show that gets picked up year after year after year. So what was that experience like for you? For me, it was it was awesome because I was only on shows that were canceled sort of immediately, you know? Right. So this was the first time I was inside. Joining season three, the show was already a hit, you know? So it was like entering a hit TV show, which was so different, you know? There was right. like incredible lunches. Uh, there was 24 episodes and just to kind of like watch at the time, Adam sort of like make the whole show. And it was, he he was all in on it. And that was sort of like a really cool experience for me. Cause just watching like, just, just all he cared about, you know, it was just, everything was just like perfecting the stories and making it as true to like his family as possible. Right. And that was when I kind of got the idea to um, do a show based on my family, you know, just kind of watching how real everything was for him into the show. And I was like, my parents are insane. I could do a show. And then I tried, and then it was canceled. But at least I tried. You should try. Yeah, that's, well, that's, that's something you have in common with the other podcasters on this yes. show. So I wanted to talk about this, too, because I was looking through your uh, IMDb, and uh, I saw that you wrote for uh, Whitney 
uh, yes. her show, and you wrote for Mulaney, his show. So those yes. were famously like unsuccessful shows. Let's let's <laughs> just say it. Yes. Like that. yes. And, and having been the creator of one of the most famously unsuccessful shows of all <laughs> maybe time, maybe yeah, maybe you know we're fighting, we're, but they're they're in the conversation. So yes. what do you think happened? Because Mulaney and Whitney are both incredibly funny people. Like they're both oh, yeah. hilariously smart, funny, sharp. Um, so what, what happens there, do you think, between them being hilarious and then this show coming out that's just, it's not really doing it? Like, well, what? it's funny because they're, they're, they're both so funny and, and so, and so smart and, and like great producers. So they put yeah. together these incredible writer's rooms. Yes. So like on those shows, I was having the best time of my life. Like, on, you know, you're just like, this is it. Yeah. We're going to get really rich now. And yeah. Everything's going to be perfect. We're <laughs> laughing so much. We're having the best time. And then the show comes out. And you're like, wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> like the, the Mulaney table reads, like I'm not exaggerating. It was like applause breaks. You know, it was like uh, Martin Short, John. People were going insane, like crying, laughing, sweating. Yeah. And then we made, the, I think the, the, the problem with some of the times is that when you're making these shows, we're kind of in a bubble, you know? And, yeah, you know, okay. that kind of happened with, with my show, too, where it's like you're making the show, it's not airing. Where it used to be you, you would, you, you'd make the show, it's coming out, and then you're sort of like reading the reviews or seeing how things are working or finding out what actors are better and what they're best at. And you're sort of like rewriting stuff based on that information, but you're not getting any information. Right. So everything, you're, you're in this sort of bubble where you think everything is so funny because you're doing it, yes. you know? <laughs> yeah. And then it comes out and then you're like, fuck, I wish that we had like the right reaction, you know, while, while we were in the process of making it. Um, and I think that was part of it. I also think like, you know, everyone, they were, they were, you know, I feel like John and, and Whitney both were like very young at the time and didn't yeah. have like tons of, you know, right sitcom experience, you know, and exactly how to like manage, manage that. And I also think like when you're on the show, you know, you guys know when you're running a show, your life is insane and you, and you die. So if yeah. you do that and you're actually on camera, so yeah. it's, it's, it's impossible. Like, like right. Whitney, you know, ate powder peanut butter and, and ended up weighing one, one pound, you know, and like right. <laughs> John had like crazy skin stress constantly. Like it was just, it was just a, it's a really hard schedule. Yeah. And I think, you know, to wrap your head around that, you don't, you don't realize that until you're in it and you're like, have to rewriting episode to four in the morning and then you have to be on stage to rehearse at 8am, you know? Yeah. So well, let, me, think- let me ask like on particularly Mulaney, I remember I wasn't, at NBC ever really and but Mulaney I remember the executives were super cocky about before it ever aired like the executives were telling us and a little bit was a little bit of shaming of dad's isn't uh, like Mulaney like mm-hmm. they were kind of like using it as a as a little bit of a stick to whap us on the nose oh, for our <laughs> lack of performance yeah so wow. I'm wondering like when was the first indication for you that this was not going to go as everyone mm. thought well, it was an NBC pilot and it was a different oh, right. sort of show. It was like him having like it was called it was the the original, I think, pilot script was called like Mulaney Don't Drink. And it was about him sort of getting sober. And then it was going to start this like life with his two roommates. But then the show didn't get picked up at NBC. And Kevin Riley went to Fox and was like, I love John Mulaney. Let's do six episodes. And then we just did mm. six episodes for Fox. So we never even did a pilot to get any sort of like reaction, you know, from, you know, yeah. anyone. And we just yeah. made, made six episodes. I think they even like picked up maybe like a back seven or something. We did a few, we, we did a bunch of episodes, but then we didn't know until it started airing immediately. Once the reviews 
came out, it was it was that's how we realized it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Well, but Fox also Fox and Mulaney is not a match. I mean, I can't believe that NBC after all Mulaney had done, frankly, to, to help SNL stay incredibly relevant, you know, with mm-hmm. his sharp writing and update stuff. Uh, I can't believe that NBC did not give that show a chance because I think that's one of those shows that the only chance it probably had was to be on NBC. Well, in their defense, they had Animal Hospital. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I remember that show. Well, it's just so insane how everything just constantly changes where like during that time, it was a lot of like NBC was like Parks and Rec. The office had just ended. It was like Brooklyn Nine Nine was 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 gaining. Mo- oh, that was that Fox. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean. It was like it was those kind of shows mm-hmm. were were happening. And then and now it's like you call NBC. They're like only bring us multicams. You know. So it's like yeah, <laughs> it's impossible to know. Well, because anyway. that's that was the other problem too. As you know, Goldie, you know, and and mm-hmm. I know, and I you know, Alec, you know too. Like multicams are the most fun shows to make. Like there's yes. nothing that feels like more show business than making a multicam, like a tape night. And they are just the hardest shows to connect with, with an audience on TV, unless it's on CBS. I feel like it's very hard to really, even though like the most popular shows on streaming are multicams, it just still feels hard to really get it um, going. Well, well yeah. two things about this. The first is that it's like crypto in that the timing of a multicam when you do it it's always the wrong time when you decide to jump in and make a multicam. And then the second you decide, okay, I'm not doing a multicam, then it's the right time to do a multicam. And then it's like, like you t- you saying, oh, NBC wants multicams now. It was like, well, no, I, I could, had a could have helped I, you two years ago, you know? Yeah, I, I had I had a multicam was canceled. Then I had a meeting with the network like six months later about what do you want to do next? And they said, we're looking for family multicams. I was like, I just had a, that's what I had. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, it's the will not now syndrome. But uh, so speaking of that, and you referred to this earlier, you did create a multicam about your life, Yes, um, which I believe starred Fran Drescher. Is that correct? Fran Drescher, Stephen Weber, Adam Pally. It's a great cast. It's a great cast. And so now I would imagine... That, you know, when you're on Whitney and Mulaney, it's one thing because, you know, watching someone else's dream die can be kind of fun. But when you're doing, (laughs) when you're making your own show about your life and then how did you feel about that? Because that that's what happened to me with dads. Like that was about my dad. And then America said, no, thank you. So (laughs) what, how, how did you handle that? Were you instantly on to the next? I mean, or how did it go for you? No, for me, well, it was, I really, I loved, I loved making the show. I loved sort of, you know, like when, whenever you're on a staff, you're just like, I just want to be in charge. You know, let me, yeah. let me just be in charge, you know? Right. And, uh, yes. and then you're in charge and you're like, fuck, could someone else be in charge? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but, uh, because you realize this is, I don't know about you guys, but what you realize when you have your own show is that you can't help but resent everyone, even your friends who are <laughs> yeah. working on the show, because no one is thinking about it as much as you. And you're like, why aren't you guys also not sleeping? Like, my, I got frozen shoulder, which is something that only happens to over to, to, to diabetic pregnant women. And that happened to me. That, that, that happened to me from stress, uh, being so stressed out. Um, you and, and Goldie then, are so similar. I love, this is unbelievable. 
unbelievable. Well, we were both making like the same kind of show at the exact same time with the same with the studio. same company. Wow. Yeah. So wow. he would text me from like. Uh, well, Sony editing. knows what they're doing, right? I mean, yeah, capable they, hands. Sure. <laughs> Everything's gonna be fine. Uh, he's writing a suicide at, at note. The, at the end of my deal, I was like, "Can I just sell the televisions at Best Buy instead of doing TV?" Like, I like I like the actual TV sets they make. I, I don't know about the stuff inside the TV, but I like I I really believe strongly in the TV sets. If you want to just set me on the floor of Best Buy, I think I can move these. No, I, I don't I do I don't remember this, but I remember like we were both editing the shows, and it was just like very stressful, and I was like so stressed out, and I I called you, and I was like, hey. Uh, are you editing? And you go, I'm in a pickup truck driving east. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like like the astronaut who was chasing down her lover across country yeah. with diapers on the whole time. You did. You had a you had a you had a porta potty in a bucket, right? right? In the back. I did. I told that story yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. And I, it, that was for emergencies. And then within 70 miles of leaving, I had used it. <laughs> got to like Downey. No, I literally had not, le- yeah, like I literally had not crossed the state line going like, and this is just, you know, in case because of yeah. COVID, like there's no good bathroom and whatever and like, but I just need to know psychologically I have it so I never have to use it. And then it's just like within an hour, I'm like, I got a shit in the pocket. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I would say I, I was very upset, but what was weird about, you know, my show was it debuted uh, with COVID. And oh. uh, like oh. it actually came out like the week of COVID, oh. and wow. uh, we had an episode where Adam Pally um, gets sick, and oh. it's sort of the sort of the idea where like every time like the dad is sick, like that's all that anyone that's he takes over the entire family. Like no one has as sick as me. Like I just right. can't deal. Yeah. And right. they were like we and we it was our most expensive episode because we built a pool. Because wow. he was trying to like take his daughter to like swim class and he was sick and he didn't want to. And then he faints in the pool. It was funny. And, <laughs> and they were like, we're not airing that episode because everyone uh, is dying in America. Right. I'm like, oh, oh my God. That so is bad the timing. show came out and there was this weird moment where like because everyone was home, people started watching the show and there was like some hilarious headline that was like, indebted, indebted to coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and then we're like okay maybe the virus will help us and then it seemed actually like we were gonna get picked up and we had, did the whole thing we pitched out season two and they were like all right this sounds good and it felt like it was happening and i was like all right this is gonna be great and then we got a phone call that was like uh everyone at comcast was fired and replaced so now oh. everything's canceled I'm like okay well yeah. at least it's the pandemic right. and that was were you of, relieved uh, or were you bummed or both or how did you feel? No, I was bummed because I felt like I figured out towards the end of the season, like the yeah. best version of the show, you know? Yeah. So I was right. like, now I could sort of figure out like how to make it the best way we could do. Also, the cast was so good, you know? And I felt like yeah. everyone was just like kind of getting well, going. I wanted yeah. to make this point earlier about multicams besides it being like the crypto market that no one in the corporate environment we're in, no one has the patience, which is really just eight to 10 episodes to let you get to what the show is going to be for the next 90, where they're going to actually make back their investment. And which is, and so no one, it's like if, if farmers ran a farm and you go this year, we're not planting and you go, 
we're going to save money this year. And that's like true in a sense, like you won't have to buy seeds, you won't have to pay for labor, you won't have to pay for equipment, whatever. But then there's not going to be a crop and you're not running a farm. (laughs) You're just not doing something. And I feel like the (laughs) networks have become that like, they're like, we're only going to do six. And it's like, we're saving money and we're not. And it's right, right. But no trees will grow. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're yeah, not a network because you're not airing things like a yeah, second you, season yeah. of anything. You can't syndicate season. a show with six episodes every other year. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here come the deals. So but you, you – but you – so you had and, – and you had also like a big chip in the game because Fran Drescher is like a sitcom commodity. When you get yes. somebody like that on your show – it's going to help with everyone. So what what was it like working with Fran Drescher? Because she's a she's a sitcom legend. Oh yeah. She was she was she was great. She brought chopped liver to the table read. So Did she? Gross. swear to God, yes. I love so chopped liver. I love yeah. chopped liver. I love chopped liver too. The and the right smell. after oh. like a nine AM table read, people were just like in like the sound stage, just like eating crackers and chopped liver. It was oh my great. God. I it's mean, like she, a melted work boot. <laughs> it, it it actually was like a, amazing watching like like her and Stephen Weber they've been on multi, they've been on like hundreds and hundreds of episodes so they're wow. just like yeah. so good you know and it was uh it, it it was fun I mean it was every every show she's been in yeah. she's played Fran has been sort of like her thing so right. this time she was playing like a version of of my mom so that was sort of like the challenge was sort of like you know this this character is a little bit different than um some you. of the other you. characters <laughs> yeah. she, she played and she was like I don't know and I was like no it's different my mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. Um, you know, that had its challenges too because, you know, she's so used to being in charge, you know. Right. So there was right. like certain times where there was a story, you know, that she felt like was like a little too mean for her character. But I was right. would have to explain, well, that's just sort of like how my, my mom is. Like this character is obsessed <laughs> with her son. It doesn't matter. And she's going to do a monologue about her friend whose daughter can't get pregnant. And it doesn't matter. That doesn't make sense because that's right. how my mom talks. Right. You yes. know, based on facts. Can I, let me ask you a, a question about this. So yeah. Because you look so young that it See? it must be hard for you to give notes to actors because they might, are like, why is this child telling me about <laughs> my job? Yes. You know, like, and so I wonder, like, I, I have difficulty handling this, which is, you know, you're talking to a performer who, you know, maybe has a lot more experience than you. And, and sometimes you, I lean on the director where I kind of like whisper to them, like, hey, can right. we? and they know, too. But how did how did you handle that? Because you were working with such esteemed actors that how diplomatically how did you handle when they weren't doing what you felt was the right thing? I mean, I feel like when I would you know I I was such a fan of them like genuinely that I think like that helps you know when you when you like who you're working with and they and they get that sense because I feel like celebrities in general love compliments you know oh, so like yes, if, if, if they enter a situation where they already know that they're <laughs> so excited for you and they're rooting for you um that i feel like you know we had a good thing from the beginning and it was just it was it was it was hard you know sometimes it was just like a delicate conversation sometimes she was just like not not gonna do it because that's not the jokes that she's ever done you yeah. know yeah. um so it was just a little bit you know, be back and forth. But I, I would just kind of be direct always because I felt like, at least on like multicam sets, the directors are just really just a mouthpiece for the showrunner at all times. So they know when the information, who the information is coming from. So it was yeah. easier for me to get in there and be like, could you just say this exact thing just once? Yeah. It is you weird know? though because when I first was on the set of my multicam, I, because we had such a respected director in Mark Sandrowski who yeah. did like Big Bang Theory and whatever that I, you know, part of me, I was leaning on him a lot too. But I felt people were kind of waiting for him to say stuff. And we, Alec and I had worked with him before. And so I was very comfortable go, like saying to him, hey, 
would you mind going out there and just, you know, and then I became a little more comfortable doing it myself. But I always just feel like people see a bald guy sort of like hunched over and walking toward them. And they're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Holding a bucket. (laughs) This is from my truck. This bucket from my truck. This is for emergencies only. And it's always an emergency. (laughs) It's interesting that you bring up because you're, you're so right that like, you are legitimately a, like you're a fan of Steven Weber. He's hilarious. You're a fan yeah. of Fran Drescher because she's hilarious and and delivered thousands of laughs to you know so many people over the years, and that's you know the way I felt on Dad's like you know I I Martin Mull is hilarious. Yeah. You know Giovanni yeah. Ribisi is supremely talented. You know Peter Riegert is a human being. So yeah. oh, <laughs> these are all well. the things <laughs> I just wanted to do that line. That's it. I, that's all I wanted. Now, Goldie, I, Goldie, I want to sidetrack for a minute with you because we had a thing where after every dad's uh, show, we would have like a mini cast party and it would be like yep. at the at the Intercontinental Hotel right by the Fox lot or like a bar, you know, kind of right nearby. And so we would all go, and the cast would go, and Goldie started noticing something about Peter Riegert. Will you will you tell us that? Goldie? Well, it wasn't about him. It was a, he had like an entourage with him of just characters, like, and they seemed to rotate all the time. And he would just have these friends that were probably, in retrospect, New York theater friends. But yeah. then you know, I would start giving them names like. Oh, Peter's with his friend, a, a postman made entirely of hay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Well, because his friends looked so weirdly different. Like he would yeah. have one who was like 17 and one who was like 81 yeah. and one who was like a very large black man. You know, it would just be so yeah. out yeah, of place. Uh, and Goldie starts pointing out like Peter Riegert's coming yeah. with uh, a mop a, a, and bucket. A chimney, <laughs> a chimney sweep holding three trumpets on his right arm. You know, yeah. it's just like, who yeah. are these people? Well, Fran Drescher also had a little bit of entourage. She would have like her her friend who was in charge of like her foundation with her at all times, like her her ex gay husband. That's what she called him, uh, Peter, who she created the nanny with. He was always there, and then like her hairstylist who was always in like a full military outfit and just like running around the set. And was like, is this is this guy from a different soundstage? Like, where's he coming from? But did you feel with them? I like I wonder. You know, they were both Steven Weber and Fran Drescher were huge during the the glory days of it all. Oh, yeah. And was there any shock that you noticed on their part where they were like, oh, my God, this has become not as important as it was? They The state of things, were they ever shocked by it? Or were they, like, just happy to be there? I think they were happy to be there. I think they're, they're sort of, like, used to, like, a, a way of life that they that they had back when they were making, like, 600 episodes of Wings yeah, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. And they talk about – they t- would talk about sort of, like, the glory days. But I think at least when we were making the show, again, it's kind of what I was saying, we were in this bubble where, like – NBC was super supportive of the show, like all the executives, like it was, it was a great experience from that standpoint. And they just seemed very into it. And even like with the marketing and everything that started, it felt like we were kind of like in a good place and they felt the support. So they were excited to kind of be, especially Steven, to be back on NBC doing a multicam on Thursday night. It felt like it was going to be a game changer and it was not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, he loved you because I remember we were both at Upfronts in New York the same time, which is when the networks sort of show all their new shows for the year. And 
I got flown out there, and then uh, ABC did not show my show in the presentation. And then I, <laughs> I remember that, that. That was my first indication that maybe this was not going to go great. But I talked to Stephen Weber kind of at length at, at one of those parties, and he had very nice things to say about you, and he was very happy to be there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was, he's yeah. so funny, and he was so great. He was, he was someone Super who was nice just, like, so too. down to, like, do yeah. whatever. And he, yeah, he's you know. insane. He's insane, yeah. but in a good way. Like in a great a, way. He's yeah. like a crazy person who's very funny. Yeah, yeah I remember we we had one episode just about how like you don't talk to your neighbors ever. You know, like yeah. especially like you just don't don't do it. But when your parents come, they just like befriend random people on <laughs> your street. Yeah. And there's like an episode where like he becomes such good friends with the neighbors that he's like going to like a Duke basketball game. Is <laughs> he walks into the house, his face is painted blue and white. I mean, it's completely insane. But he was just like so down for any well, of that. Not only <laughs> does my mom do that, but then she asks about that person till till the rest of time <laughs> right. and cares more than what's happening with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How's your yeah, name? Like, yeah, it's yeah, like, like, oh, that man David I met, is he still, you know, and, and it's like, well, like, I, I do stuff. Yeah. It's like, mom, also, David is a squatter and we think he kidnapped like five dogs on the street. <laughs> um, well, so this, this leads us into, because ostensibly we're a writer's podcast here yes. with advice yeah. and all that kind yes, of bullshit. Yes. Unfortunately. Um, um, so, yeah, I know. Unfortunately, <laughs> we have to get to that stuff. So, but y- you are someone who is known, known to me, known to Goldie, known to many in the business as, as someone who's great at pitching. And pitching is a big part of, of what we do. And yes. I wondered if, because you, you've pitched many times, many times successfully, have you noticed anything over the years about what helps make a successful pitch? Yes, I feel like I always like to start my pitch off with some sort of personal antidote that is full of jokes that relates to whatever the TV show is. It could have nothing to do with it, but just be just a funny story about like the characters who I'm developing the show about or like whether it's my family or whatever, or like with the Kevin Hart show I talked about, you know, just meeting Kevin Hart when I was 18 years old, the comic strip and our first conversation was about sneakers, you know, and just sort of like going into that sort of story to kind of get people into the idea that I know what I'm going to talk about, or at least I have some sort of like, you know, very personal way in. And, uh, and I feel like that's sort of the best way to get them. And then I sort of just kind of, I have a format that I follow where it's like a a really funny story into sort of, you know, the themes of the show into like a log line. And then I just kind of go really detailed into characters. And for me, sort of like everything is always about like the comedy, you know, and just like how funny and how funny can I make the pitch and how can I really like get the people. And for me, that's always sort of what it's been. And then kind of go through all of the characters and then I have some like sort of like, you know, big wrap up about, you know, how the show's gonna be very successful and we're all gonna get very wealthy and <laughs> syndicated, blah, blah, blah. And then uh and then and then that's kinda like how I sort of go through. And then then I'll, you know, I'll always have like five five episode ideas, but I'll always pitch out the pilot and then I'll say, like, I have episode ideas if you wanna hear any. And sometimes they'll say, Yeah, and sometimes they say, No, no. How some far sort of, do you like, go in the pilot? Like, do you go just the sort of theme and the act breaks or do you really get granular and say and go scene 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 no no i'll do like i'll, I'll do themes and, and act breaks and then just depends because now i don't know if, if you guys know this but a lot of times now there's these pods and producers who really will like grind you in the pitch process so you mm-hmm. end up having almost like a story area before you even pitch the first 
your first yeah. your first pitch and that that could be honestly sometimes frustrating because i feel like a lot of times whatever you're pitching in the room during the pitch for the pilot that's never what the pilot's going to be unless right. it's a true premise story premise pilot like it's just not going to be what it is but that's sort of my my format that i kind of go and i always feel like it's normally around like seven to eight pages and they're around 20 minutes well, you're oh, also really good. good. You're really good. good at assembling talent and attracting talent and attracting producers. So I was actually hoping you could talk a little bit. I know some of these you have relationships dating back to stand-up or whatever, but you also seem very good at like, here's a big producer. Here's a piece of talent. Here's me connecting them with the idea. And now we're going in to pitch. And I, I just wondered if if you have an approach prior do you have an idea and then try to get the pieces or do you think of the pieces and then try to come up with the idea yeah i mean i i come always come with the idea first and then i try to put the pieces together because i just feel like especially now like i feel like if you talk to anyone they're they're always going to say like oh it's such a hard time to to sell right yeah. now but i i feel like it's not if you have the right package you know because people are always excited about you know people coming in together and exciting people and powerful producers and all that kind of stuff so i feel like that's something that i always try to do and just from like doing this for 20 years now or whatever I just like feel like I know um you know enough people and talented people that I really like and I just know that you know I could get to them and with the right people just kind of putting it together and going into the, into the place that's I, I love your specific advice about how long you know pages and yeah. Yeah. pitches should be because I feel like nothing is worse for someone pitching when you pitch too long like yeah. that's that's just death instantly. Now, something you have that I I will speak for Goldie, neither he or I have is a sunny disposition. Do you feel like <laughs> like so do, do you feel like do you feel like okay, I really need to Dan Levy it up in here today? Like I need to be like this happy person or are you just like genuinely like happy and excited about the stuff you're doing or do you put it on? You mean in general or like, like I'm saying it, like in a pitch meeting, are you oh, like, no, okay, I, mean, I, I'm gonna, like, I'm, I'm gonna, I have to punch myself in the bathroom <laughs> in the face before <laughs> yeah. to get up for it. Yeah. What, what do you do? <laughs> when, when, when I'm pitching, I feel like I I always sort of like step it up. Like I, I treat pitches like a performance, you know? Yeah, yes. it sounds um, like it. And especially on Zoom now, I feel like you're able to almost use your pitch pages like a teleprompter, you know? So I feel like even more so I'm trying to like, you know – get people excited because i feel like it's just harder to like get that yeah, energy, energy on zoom like i miss being in person because i just feel like it's better and you could like reference the people in the room and make fun of your studio executive whatever right. you yeah, do yeah. to sort of liven it up um <laughs> but but most part yeah mo most of the time i'm pretty i feel like i'm how i am i in a writer's yeah. room i'm like you know always you know, I, I just like to be around like funny people, you know, so yeah. I feel like I'm going to be in a good mood if I'm around funny people. Like I've been on shows where like people aren't funny and then you're like, well, this side has got to like really like should I bring should I start juggling? Like how can I <laughs> electrify this room? Because it feels insane. You know, yeah. like there's nothing worse for me than being in a room that's supposed to be a comedy room and people are just like. Uh, I have a problem with the character. And I'm like, oh. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> actually worse. blow my brains out on the Zoom just so there's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, did you, did you coming from stand up want to be a writer or did you want to be doing stand up and be on the show or did you, were you agnostic toward it? In the beginning, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to, you know, do stand up and like have a sitcom. That was always sort of like my, my, my goal when I was like younger. And then, 
And then as I, you know, got just more into wanting to do things and developing things, I just realized that like writing was going to be like the best way to do it. So it all started with, if you guys remember Crackle, not to name drop, oh, yeah. Crackle.com, <laughs> I had this series called Long Distance Relationship about being in a lot of relationship in college. And I wrote that with Tal Rabin, which is my executive. Oh, and, nice. uh, and then she sort of helped me. Uh, we then pitched it to... Uh, MTV, it was like a web series that became a pilot. And that was the first time I wrote like a real pilot. And it, and we did it for MTV and we shot it. And then it didn't get picked up. But the people at Sony at the time were like, but you should do something else. And then I went and then I hooked up with the late great Jamie Tarsus. And then I pitched an NBC show with her. And that was the first sitcom that I sold. And I wrote like a pilot. And that and that was how I kind of got, got in at the same time Whitney Cummings had her sitcom. And we were kind of writing pilots at the same time. And she was like, hey, if one of my shows gets picked up, um, do you want to work on it? And I was like, yeah, maybe. Let me know. And then both her shows got picked up. Oh, that's awesome. Uh-huh. And then I worked on Whitney. And that's and that was the first time I entered like a sitcom room where I was like, oh, look at all these funny people. I didn't even yeah. know. In my mind, you know, starting comedy like in New York and in Boston, it was like, if you want to write on sitcoms, you have to be like at the Harvard Lampoon. You know, that was just always in my yes. mind for whatever reason. Right. So. When I got into the room, I was like, oh, this is – these guys are so funny. That that room was just like insanely funny. You know, this, Sam is the, this is the Whitney room? The Whitney room. Sam yeah. Sclaver, Matt Harowitz, you know, Danielle Sanchez. I mean there was some like just hilarious people in that room. John Quentin's like – Matt Harowitz. Matt Harowitz. Matty H. Matty H. Just killer. So that was just – it was just so fun. And I was like, wow, all these people are so funny. And I was not even aware – of it and then I started like noticing that they all drove like really nice cars and I was like what is happening <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned Matt Harowitz because I knew Matt Harowitz when he was just starting in the business and he was Craig Kilborn's assistant right on, yes. on the late late show and I remember a very funny thing where Craig Craig didn't want Maddie around when Maddie was eating lunch he didn't like the way he ate <laughs> <laughs> so I always used to give Harowitz shit about that. I'm like, oh, I can hear you chewing, Maddie. Better run down the hallway. He's such a nice guy, though, and really yeah, funny. So I'm really glad, funny. glad to hear he succeeded there. Now, you, you mentioned Tall. So I yes. wanted to say she um, she sent in a question. Okay. She said uh, – she says hello, by the way. Hello. Um, she said, must have been nice to leave your wife with three fucking kids while you went on the road. <laughs> And I I wrote, that's not really a question, but I'll I'll go ahead and say it for you anyway. So now just tell, let's, let's talk a little bit about this tour with Mulaney because I saw, you know, on your Instagram posts from a lot of the, uh, the stadiums literally where you guys were playing. So what is it like to do stand up in front of thousands of people? I think Goldie and my record is 12 people. So (laughs) I'm very interested to hear what that was like for you. Well, it, it's been an, an amazing and insane and overwhelming experience because, as we discussed, I have been really mostly in, in writers' rooms for like at least a decade now, you know. So I haven't been out and about performing like I did in my twenties and you know early thirties. So it sort of happened where he came out of rehab in his situation. He's yeah. like, "I'm going on a tour. You should come and do a spot." And I was like. Okay, so I looked at where he's performing, and I was like, I'll go to Omaha. You know, that seems like a good place to kind of get my feet wet. And because I was, like, doing spots here and there, you know, in in L.A., as soon as sort of, like, things started kind of coming back to life, you know, just at these outdoor shows to see people. So I went to Omaha with him, and it was awesome. It was 14,000 people. It was crazy. That's awesome. And and it was so fun. And then I – then he's like, come and uh, do – 
do these other shows, come to Minnesota and come to Berkeley. And I was like, great. And then we did two shows in Berkeley and I was like, that's awesome. It's been so fun. And then I got a bunch of people tickets to see him at the Hollywood Bowl because everyone wanted to see the show. And then we get back to LA and he's like, you should come to the forum tonight. And I was like, tonight? I was like, I live, I'm in the Valley. It's going to take so long to get there. But then I, I, I went to the forum and then I performed the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. And ever since then, I've been on all the dates. So it's been it's been awesome. Wow. I, mean, yeah, I got what's... goosebumps just thinking about it. What <laughs> yeah. is your approach? I mean, because you're opening. So opening, you know, on a stadium, I guess the burden is less like it is in a club to sort of go in the crowd and, and right. get them warmed up. But I mean, you, you still do have that burden of like letting everyone know, hey, this is a show. You have to be kind of quiet and listen, but also be kind of loud and laugh. And like, yeah. how do you... How do you well, even wrap your mind around what you're doing up there? Yeah, I mean, well, the, this comic Seton S- Smith who's super funny. He's he's the host, so he comes out okay. and he really gets a show going. So then, uh, but, my, but then I come out when they're just like ready to see John at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even squinting, they must be like, "There he is!" Like if they didn't quite hear your intro. They're like, "Oh, he has yeah. glasses now. <laughs> he looks different. What did cocaine do to his face and make him Jewish?" <laughs> um, Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And then, uh, yeah, and and then you come out and it's it kind of actually feels like every show feels like a giant production. You know, there's just there's three production trucks that follow us around. They build the stage each time. There's there's cameras. So you're really sort of like kind of like almost doing like a TV set, you know, every time you're performing because there's you're kind of like I talk to the cameras because you can't really see that many people because it's just these giant arenas. But I've just been, you know, really just like putting together my act like I would, you know, in, in the past, you know, and I'm when I'm in town now, I'm performing a lot around L.A. and just like, you know, working on it and, and coming up with it. I mean, he is just so good that I'm just constantly trying to like elevate my, my stand up. But know? not be too good, because I mean, that's what <laughs> like that's the trick of being the person who's not the headliner. If you go, I, I want to do really well and help the show. But if you go, I don't want people leaving going like that. That guy though was better. Then, <laughs> like, then you're in a different kind of trouble, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's been. I, I don't think I've run into that problem yet. But uh, I was but, yeah, always no. conscious of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you were opening happened. for Gaffigan. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no. I. I mean, the 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 story I always tell is so. I. You know, my whole goal, my whole life was to be on a late night show. And, you know, I, I did Kilborn, and that was great. And then I, I did Kimmel, which was, you know, the earlier spot, the midnight or 11.30. And that, you know, I built this up in my mind that I'm going to get on a late night show and then, you know, the executives will see me and then they'll say, you develop a show for you. It was going to be this entry point for the rest yeah. of my life. So I do this set on Kimmel. It goes it goes fine. Like, it it's not incredible. It's not terrible. It's, it's good. It's fine. And then 
as the crowd is leaving, they don't even recognize me as the person who was on stage. And at that moment, I thought to myself, I might not have this it quality that you need to succeed as the center of something. Because well, the it, people who just saw me <laughs> don't know that that was me. And that happened again in the screening of uh, Ted 2. Yeah. I couldn't get recognized in the theater where I had two scenes in the movie. <laughs> Well, it's so funny because, you know, I, I wear like a suit, you know, when I'm doing these shows and I'm, you know, the these these arenas are huge. So after yeah. one show in, I think it was in D- Delaware, I was like, I want to go to the top, you know, in the summer we do, we do these big like amphitheaters. So we I was like, I want to go all the way to the lawn and just like see, see what it looks like. Yeah. So I took my suit off and I went up there and like security came over me and they're like, because I'm taking, taking a picture, like, you have a phone, you can't be here. They like, bring three security over. I was like, I was on stage. They're like, no, you weren't. I was like, no, I was. And I'm like trying to prove that I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, your clothing with you is a huge thing. I love clothes, right? Oh. So I, in these pictures, like you have a hundred suits. I mean, do you? <laughs> you must be a. You must be spending a fortune. B. Do you have a stylist? Are you doing this all yourself? Like, talk about your relationship with these clothes and sort of like you have three kids and you're spending all this money on clothing. So what's going on? <laughs> Well, I'm I'm what people refer to like my wife as irresponsible. Um, <laughs> um, no, I just I really like um, I've always liked clothes. Like your friend um, Adam Pally, we share oh, like yeah. a love for Johns as as we call them, um, and it's just sort of fun to be performing, you know. And I feel like it's in a performance like this, this big, you have to sort of dress up. John always wears suits too, so mm-hmm. um, that's sort of why I sort of embrace like the different looks for the shows. And, and do you own that stuff or is a wardrobe person bring it and then taking it away? No, no, I, I own it. And then there's been some people who've like made stuff for me to wear, you know, um, but I don't have a stylist. I just sort of have like my own sort of intuition when it comes to great oh, clothes, like the sweater nice. that you made fun of. Yeah, I did. <laughs> right, right away. Right away. Right away. So who has the big closet in your bedroom, you or your wife? <laughs> uh, I do. Yeah, that's <laughs> the same in my house great. too. Oh, she really? doesn't. Yeah. She See, doesn't. this has got to be part of the sneaker pitch. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Go, who has yeah. the bigger closet? Because that would, in my house, cause a problem. Yeah, yeah no, my, my wife is the opposite. Like, she wants nothing. She they're, they're these buy nothing groups that I think your wife is on. Oh, no, like, my wife, my is, wife is obsessed with buy yeah. nothing, oh. which is basically you just give stuff to people. Oh. And every day there is just bins and bins of stuff she's giving away. Our neighbors thought we were running a food co-op because people come to our house so much to get her garbage. My kids my kids were, ang- she's given away so much of their stuff, my kids almost staged like a pitchfork style revolt. <laughs> They're like, what is that? Something's on the steps. They're like, we want that. We want it. We don't know what it is, but we want it. I know. She pulls in so much garbage off the street too. It's like my, my living room is like a hospice for a Salvation Army. That's, that's <laughs> it's. I think it's nice you like clothes. You know, every every girl's crazy about a sharp dressed Dan. <laughs> you were holding on to that all one. the puns in. Oh, ZZ Bottom. ZZ. <laughs> <laughs> Over the top. Um, right, well, now we we've kept you here for a long time, and we know time. We we, we were all over that. Guys, but I just want to get. To, I have I, nothing to do today. I just. I want to get back to something about pitching because I re- yes. I'll never forget when I had the, the, our famous lunch. Yes. Um, <laughs> you, me, and Steve Bazalone, you guys told me about a, an interesting pitch meeting you had uh, with Eddie Murphy. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yes, yeah, so me and Steve had the privilege of rewriting the script uh, of Triplets, which was a sequel to Twins. Okay. Now, to get <laughs> to, to, to get that movie greenlit for us to get paid, we need to have Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, and Eddie Murphy agree on the story. So the executives well. at the time, Ali Bell and the late great Ivan Reitman, brought us to Arnold Schwarzenegger's house. And we pitched Arnold Schwarzenegger the movie. And they told us it's going to be super casual, like just casually just talking about the idea. Arnold's like so in. And we get there. There's nothing casual about Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) (laughs) We sit down for like a three-course lunch. There's like all these like chefs like bring us all this chicken. And I remember, I'll never forget like this giant blueberry pie that he just kept like shoveling his mouth. That's very good. I I hear you're so funny. He kept saying that. I I hear so much about you. I was like, there's no way you hear about me. There's no way. Way. It's all over town. <laughs> it's all over town. It's crazy. I can't go anywhere. And uh, and and I have the pitch like in, uh, like in my pocket because I thought it was me. It wasn't me casual. I would like look down, but I could not take like papers out right. you know, over his like blueberry pie. So <laughs> so we just kind of like start going into it, and 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 like as Steve is talking about like this moment of like Dane Davino's. Davido's wife dies and it makes him really want to reconnect with his brother. Arnold Schwarzenegger's fucking horse named Whiskey walks into the kitchen, gallops into the kitchen and starts eating food off of Arnold's plate. Whiskey, no! He's like, Whiskey, what are you doing? And we're like, what the fuck? And we're trying to act cool. And he's like acting normal and he's like feeding the horse and looking at us. He's like, and then act two? And we're like, what the fuck? And then we had this whole ridiculous pitch meeting. Before we leave, he grabs my bicep, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the greatest oh. in all my life. He grabs my bicep and he goes, I'm proud of you. All right, Steve. Steve has been through a lot in his life. There is nothing worse than he felt than when Arnold grabbed my arm and complimented me over him. Um, And then he's gonna grab Steve's arm with the OK symbol. Look, I I shouldn't be able to do this around your bicep. And then as we're leaving, it was like we were just like sweating. Like, what was that? And then Ivan Reitman like looks at me and Steve, and he goes. Pretty interesting guy, right? (laughs) (laughs) So then they were like, Arnold's in. We're like, great. But you guys need to get Danny DeVito. So we go and we get, we meet with Danny DeVito. He had a long sort of goatee at the time. And we're sitting in this like, (laughs) this restaurant in Santa Monica. And uh, we kind of, we pitch him the whole thing. The first thing he says was, he goes, so I have a real question for you guys. And we're like, why? And he's like, why do you want to do this? We're like, I don't know, Stumped. money and money and uh, I don't know, uh, money, you know, more money. We want money. And then, and he, so we, so we pitched the whole thing. It's also like a 35 minute pitch. And we, we wrap the whole thing up. We, we look at him and he's like, and he, I remember he went like with his goatee. He's like, can you go through that first part again? Oh, and, no. And, and Steve goes, wait, what part? And he goes, you know what? Pitch me the whole thing again. And we're like, are you uh, fucking no. kidding me? So we're like, oh, we've always liked the movie Twins. <laughs> <laughs> but then they were like, Danny is in. So we're like, great. So then they're like, you just got to go to Eddie Murphy's house. And we're like, hell yeah. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. I'm so excited. I love Eddie Murphy. Plus, um, Eddie Murphy, I heard, always talk, like whenever he talks to Chris Rock, I heard them say this on Mark Maron, whenever he talks to Chris Rock, 
Eddie Murphy only wants to talk about stand-up from the 80s and the comics from the comic strip and, like, where they are now. That's all he wants to talk about. So I was right. like, I just got to, like, talk about the comic strip, and I'll get in with Eddie Murphy. So we we get to his house, the biggest house ever, behind, like, 17 gates. <laughs> yeah. Like, one of those, like, crazy areas where there's, like, armed guards. Like, it was just like, you're like, this is, are we in L.A.? It's insane. And uh, we get there, and we, like, walk in, and it's just this, like, big house. And we're like waiting for him, like in the entryway, and then we just hear like, "You motherfuckers here!" And we're like, oh my god, this is like the greatest thing ever! And we go into his room, and with like a hundred foot ceilings, and there's just like amazing, you know, frame stuff everywhere. His Mark Twain Award, just posters. It was just like you know, you were in his office, yeah. yeah. And um, and he's watching, you know, he he has movie trivia on like just playing on his TV and he tells us he's obsessed with movie trivia and he does it all night long and we're like okay <laughs> and then <laughs> and then and then I, I we're like we're waiting for Arnold to show up because Arnold's late it's raining in LA so it rains in LA it's hard he's to on places. horseback too yeah he's on horseback <laughs> risky so so then we're just like waiting and then I just like added, I just was like I gotta say something and I was like Eddie I'm, I'm you know I'm a comedian I started the comic strip and he's like Comedian, and then we just started talking, and he was just, and he, and he kind of went into. It. He started talking about like stand up and how he wants to get back into it, and was like, it was just this like really awesome moment. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger comes like rushing in, soaking wet in a brown leather jacket, sits down. He's like, "I'm sorry, it's just Donald Trump's tweeting at me all day. The guy's obsessed." Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> and me and Steve are like, we are sitting in Eddie Murphy's house, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is complaining about Donald Trump, who's obsessed with him, who is also the president. <laughs> oh, there's that. Weird. Oh my god. We're like, this needs to be the movie. So then we wrote the movie, and then um, we finished the movie. And we thought it was gonna um we thought it was gonna happen. We were in this conference room, we wrote it, and we were with like the financiers, and they were they were just like ready to make it because it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, they could just sell it like immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And then Ivan Reitman, R.I.P., looks at the financier and he's like, you know what? The guy's like, Yeah, so we could start, you know, pretty soon. And I Ivan Reitman's like, you know what? I feel like it's not ready. And we're like, What do you mean it's not ready? He's like, Yeah, it's just not not ready yet. And we're like, we we're it's ready to go. And then it died. And then uh, they ended up, like, having new people come in to write the movie. Oh, no. And then that movie was about to get made. But then Ivan Reitman died. So now I don't know what's happening. So now now I think it's – now it's just sort of in in, in oh, the yeah. universe, both scripts. Wow. So RIP to my script That's and Ivan Reitman. Yeah. And uh, God what bless What an amazing, <laughs> amazing pitch story. Yeah. That's incredible. And now, now be- before we let you go, I just want – you anything you want to say about your, your Kevin Hart project? What's going on with that? Can, when can we uh, look forward to that? Well, I hope that I hope we could look forward to it soon. I'm not sure. It's uh, the the fir- the draft is now in, so I'm sort of waiting on those like initial notes. Who are you and working with? What studio? I'm working with Sony. Okay. Oh boy. I'm working with Sony learned. Studios. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm working with Sony, <laughs> and we're doing it for Peacock. So it's all the same oh, executives cool. from my sitcom. So I'm I'm excited to like get in with them and start working again. So I'm just like waiting to find out. But oh, um, good. Yeah. It's, uh, awesome. So yeah. It, it could be, as Goldie might say, streaming on the cock. <laughs> it could be <laughs> streaming on the cock. I love that. Well, Dan Levy. Thank wow. you so Thank much you. for being with us today. Amazing. You you made us smile, which is hard to do. I've, I've never 
I've, I don't think I've ever seen Goldie ask so many questions. So he was clearly well, I, I, engaged today. I love you guys. I you know how much I love you guys, and I love this podcast. So I was honored to be a part of it. So thank you for having me. Thank yeah, you so much, Dan Levy. Everyone, yay! Yeah, thank you. Oh God, that was Dan is so funny. He's dude. Yeah. That that Arnold story <laughs> on the horse. Hilarious. I, I, I wish that happened to me. I know. I know. Me too. You would never stop talking about it. <laughs> whiskey now. Whiskey down. Whiskey. <laughs> that was hilarious. And and Dan Levy has an infectious laugh. Yeah, and, and he's a I great guy. I, and I, yeah, and I kind of can't stand him because he's so fucking nice and positive, and I just don't get it. Like, <laughs> yeah. give him eighty percent of that and me twenty, and then watch what I do. <laughs> what would I do? I don't know. You know, just be slightly more pleasant as you chat in front of your friends <laughs> on Facetime in front of my friends. And, why? Why even? Why do we need Facetime anymore? But the <laughs> pandemic is over. Just start shitting in front of your friends. Just come on, come the on porto, into the bathroom with the me. Porta potties. Uh, <laughs> Welcome right. to my bathroom with Alex Hawkins. <laughs> we built this shitty. <laughs> uh, all right. Now let's get into a portion of the show that we like to call Top 5. Top 5. Oh, All the right. soothing tones of us singing Goldie. This was your list today. Tell the folks what we're going to be top 5 and about. So this is the top 5 menu items you can order at an Italian restaurant. As I said <laughs> last week, these are primi, secondi, dolce, antipasti. Any part of the menu. But when you go to an Italian restaurant, what's your agenda? Mm-hmm. What do you do? So here is mine. Okay. Yes. Number five. Yeah. If they have it, I want to know how they're doing their pizza. Oh, um, nice. Sure, sure. Got to know. Yes. This is how yeah. I'm judging it. Because my whole framework for doing this, by the way, is how I'm going to judge the restaurant. How I'm going <laughs> to evaluate it in this imaginary review in my head. Yeah. Uh, pizza's important. Yeah, yes. pizza. So it's Pizzi. like, can can you knock out pizza? These are the figure skating jumps, the single lutz. Yeah, it's sort yes. of like the boring dancing stuff. It's yeah, like, show me your show me your pizza. Pizza. <laughs> Number four is I'm going to order whatever is the antipasto. I want to see, you know, what 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 spread of cheeses and meats do you bring me? Because that tells me the quality of your ingredients. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Because yep. it's a deconstructed whatever. <laughs> All right, okay. So, you, so for that one, so four is cheese and meats? Yeah, the antipasta, because it okay. also tells you what kind of olive oil they're using, what yeah. kind of vinegar. And if they put care into their bread, all this stuff's important. So here we get now to the heart of my evaluation. Number yeah. three, chopino, the uh, fish stew. Uh, How fresh is your seafood? Uh, yes. How crusty is your bread? <laughs> How spicy is your tomatoes? <laughs> You're turning into Kilborn. I love it. <laughs> Number two. Yeah. And this is where it just, we really get into it. Bring me your meatball. <laughs> Bring it to me. Nice. Get, like, now I'm going to go Gordon Ramsay on this thing. This is, that is a good I'm, one. I'm either You're going gonna, to kill somebody. I'm either going to nod satisfied or I'm going to drag you into the kitchen and yell at you about your dad. And and number one, because it's my favorite dish, I could eat it every meal the rest of my life. And it just tells me it is your signature of your restaurant, chicken parm. Oh, no pastas. Debated it. That's true. I know. We had very different lists. I don't like pasta. JC, do you want to go or should I go? Yeah, I'll go. Okay, go ahead. Um, I'm literally uh, shifting stuff around because um, I'm taking a huge (laughs) shift right now, but not 
on FaceTime. Okay. So my number five Fart is. Time. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> my number five. It's the last thing you would order, possibly, but I would say the tiramisu. Ooh, um, if you tiramisu. have. A... Susan. Susan. <laughs> I'm catching on slowly. Yeah. Um, I would say it's a judge of whether, if it's authentic, if they're taking a twist on it, it really, really says a lot about, you know, the closer. I, I, when I was in college at, in New York with my buddy, like we used to have this whole routine about how everyone always in the 90s acted as though they had just discovered tiramisu. <laughs> I know, that's and, true. And that they were then obligated, like an Amway salesman, to sell word. you on the concept <laughs> yeah. of tiramisu. Like, have yeah. you tried tiramisu? Have you like, had the tiramisu? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's just yeah. like, I never liked it that much, but so we would go out to dinner all the time in college and say, like, you've got to try the tiramisu. <laughs> well, I'm not really, and then, you know, one of us would go, well, I'm not really in the mood. Well, I don't care if you're in the mood. <laughs> you have to try the like we, we had this whole elongated. It's like a, a we br- had no friends. We had no friends. <laughs> we just <did> <laughs> Sexual Shout assault. out to John Boydman. Oh, oh Boydman. John. Yeah. Uh, I I love a tiramisu. I I don't I don't really like tiramisu, but one thing I have noticed about tiramisu is that you can inhale. The, the powdered <laughs> chocolate on top and start coughing, which yeah. has happened to me it's a couple true. of times. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm going to be honest, it's not my favorite thing, but it is a way for me to judge yes. if it's go. good. Uh, okay, number four, and this could have been number one for me, is the linguine alla vongole. That yep. is, for me, if it is good, then I will come back to this restaurant. But if you not, like I'm, a white sauce or a red sauce? I like a white sauce. Oh, yes. creamy. Yes. Well, no, like more like olive oil and white wine. Yes, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yes. Okay. My number three is the bruschetta. Is, am oh, I saying bruschetta. it right? Am I saying it right? Bruschetta. <laughs> I am not, I'm not Italian, in case you didn't know. Um, oh, nothing's better than tomatoes <laughs> falling off <I> bread. Love- <laughs> <laughs> um, number two is the prosciutto. And melon. That's good. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Just prosciutto. That can go set re- south real fast if the melon is at all off. Yeah. yeah I don't like melon. Melon has one good hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> and then for me, number one is if they have a good burrata. Am I saying that right? Sure. Burrata. Yeah. The burrata. vomit of the cheese world. Burrata. The what is it? The vomit of the cheese world. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> And that's involved in one of my picks. How many journal entries are there about burrata? Uh, you know, well, there's probably only two because you can't really get them at a cheese shop. Yeah. But like mm. I came home and wrote about it. Where was your best burrata? Well, She's going to have to look that Yeah, up. I don't remember. Yeah. But it's in New York. Um, I just oh, don't yeah. remember. New York burrata. Is that a buffalo cheese burrata? Or is it a cow, do you Oh, wow. Oh, no. I don't know, but I am very impressed that you even asked that question. Yeah, Thank well, you. I mean, the, the notebook lady <laughs> should have those answers. This is I how I stay married. Amazing question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready? We, yes. We're ready. Okay, my top five things at an Italian restaurant. Number five, and Goldie, I'm very surprised this wasn't on your list. It's basic. It's early. Garlic bread. Oh, yeah. It is good. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah. Because you were talking about judging. Well, I like to judge bread. Thank yeah. you, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, number four, uh, sort of mix, uh, prosciutto e burrata. Oh. I like it better than the melon. Uh, I, I just, I'm with you, Goldie. If the melon is slightly off in one direction, it kind of ruins the whole thing. But I love yes. the prosciutto. 
Um, number three, and my orders are very uh, New England Italian, you'll see. Okay. okay. Number three, spaghetti carbonara. Oh, wow. Oh, it's so heavy on a cold winter's day. I love the carbonara. That nice should have creamy. been on my list, I got to say. And then number two and one are similar, but I'm doing it anyway. Number two, I always enjoy penne arrabbiata. Oh, Give it to what's me. that? That's spicy. Okay. The spicy okay. one. It's uh, it's got a, lot, a little kick to it, Johnny. And number one, <laughs> number one uh, variations on a theme. I like the penne a la vodka. Oh. Mm. Enjoy that creamy deliciousness. You're fucking drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I get my buzz on with my penny. Uh, all right, that was a fun list. Fun right. list, yes. top Alex, five. So, what's it going to be, Alex? Songs you got to be. No, no. Yeah, it's it's songs because right. I know you don't like them, and now you've got me on that. So keep complaining about them because they'll keep coming. Oh, songs when you're facetiming your friends as you take it toilet. <laughs> no, here it is for next week. This is top five. Leave it all on the field songs. What does that mean? That means this is where a performer has just left it all on the stage or in the sound booth. Like they've just gone nuts while singing and it's oh, great. Okay. Oh. They've thrown all of themselves into this song and it's it's exciting to okay. you. Okay. I'm typing this so I don't forget. That's what we're doing next week, Goldie. <laughs> cool. What do you think? I'm excited. What I'm really do you excited. think? I'm really excited. Are you ready to sound the alarm? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, we, I don't think we have any other business to do. No. Let's end the show as we always do on a high note. <laughs> I got one. Go. Go. So uh, we have a lemon tree Ooh. and very sporadic, but my wife, it, it, it was not in good health. My wife tended it back to health and wow. then kind of like once every year and a half or so. Endless lemons, oh. 50 beautiful lemons. And wow. I love squeezing lemons nice. onto things. So <laughs> it's, there's nothing better. It is the real California lifestyle when you walk into your backyard wow. and you have free fruit. Yeah, yes. totally. I am taking advantage right now, and it is one of my favorite things. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. JC, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I'll go. Um, well, guess what? This one's about Stu, guys. <laughs> he played two nights at the Hollywood Bowl with Danny Elfman, and they were epic nights. I went out two nights in a row. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it was Yeah, really amazing night, very special, and he was amazing. As That's always. great. Yes. Go, Stu. Go, Stu. Um, all right. Well, my high note is about one of the other people on this podcast. So my high note this week is JC. What? <laughs> JC, hey JC. I got goosebumps just thinking about it. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. JC put together that Starship song, and I don't think we all appreciate exactly what went into that. Because not only, all right, we're singing, and when I say we, I sang one part, and JC sang three harmony parts around it. JC also added all of the instrumentation. She pumped up the drums. She did all this production on this thing, which 
I love and cannot stop listening to, and Goldie and our fans seem to not care at all about it. <laughs> yeah. I do care. Okay. I like Goldie it. cares. Yeah. I, just, I just was, I didn't, it was just all so much. It was. <laughs> I know. It was overwhelming. Uh, anyway, JC, oh, you did a fantastic you. job it on that. It was great. I love uh, listening to it. You. It sounds terrific. So thank you for that. Thank you, Goldie and, and JC, for always being awesome. Thank and you. thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week. What? Fuck you. That was fun. And it stopped right now. You motherfuckers here?